Now, we've got a, a weird other little thing that we're going to try and do now, which is the first time we've done this, we actually got a listener's letter. Oh. Now, <laughs> the, uh, so... <laughs> it's exciting. Somebody wants it, to interact it with It is exciting. So, uh, Mo Kazma has written to the show, and uh, he's very kind. He says he's been listening to the show for, for a while and enjoying it. But what he also says is, quote-unquote, have you ever listened to your intro music on Cloud Realities while the setting to the listening speed is 1.2 on Spotify? It's way better, he reckons. So, purely for you, Mo, for one week only, he's the speeded-up version of the music. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. And I'm Shao Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week, we're going to be talking about what digital transformation actually is. Is it the same as digitization? And how does cloud transformation factor into it all? Joining us this week to try and unpick that is Jeff DeVerter, tech evangelist at Rackspace and old friend of mine. So Jeff, really nice to see you, man. How are you doing? And do you want to just introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Jeff DeVerter. I'm the chief technology evangelist over here at Rackspace Technology. Uh, I started working here back in 2008 and left for a little while to go hang out with you over at CloudReach for a short spell. And uh, and now I'm, I'm back here and just helping to um, chart the direction here inside of the office of the CTO for Rackspace and tell the world all about it. And what's the what's the day job of a tech evangelist? Uh, a lot of what we're doing right now, to be honest with you. So, uh, so I spend about twenty five percent of my time helping with our technology direction. I spend about twenty five percent of my time talking to customers uh, that we have here today, talking to pre customers, and then just in general out, you know, spreading spreading the opportunities that that this cloud brings to businesses. All right. So what we were going to talk about was digital transformation. Jeff, I think you were saying that digital transformation often was a relatively meaningless term and it was quite marketing and, you know, there maybe wasn't enough substance in there. So before we leap into like why things might have changed, what was digital transformation for you? What was like in your head when you were reflecting on it? Like back in the, in the early days? Yeah. As it's gone through, like what? Yeah. Because sort of, you know, I'll I'll tell and I mentioned this in our in our prep session as well. But you know, it's back in 2013, 2014, and the marketers would come knock on my desk and say, "Hey, we want you to do a webinar." I said, "Awesome!" And they say, "I say, what about?" And they would say, "Digital transformation." I'd say, "Fantastic! I'd love to do it." What's digital transformation? Because the marketers knew what it was, but the technologists did not. Right. What was their definition? I know. I think it it was truly what you brought up, and that was digitization. We were moving to a new platform, but not necessarily transforming the underlying code, the underlying capabilities, how stuff was actually operating. It really was just a, to use today's words, a lift and shift. Hmm. But that wasn't transformation. That never is transformation. That's just relocation. Maybe we could use that word too. Right. And and what in your mind, if you take two words, if you take the word digitization and the word digitalization. What's the distinction in your mind between those two things? I think the best way is if we go grab an analogy. And so I think we're all, without making any judgments here, around when CDs started to first show up, um, 
what we got was a digital representation of an analog recording. It was just another way to play back a thing that was recorded in a very, very analog fashion. Hmm. As opposed to when we think about music that we hear today is, is most all of it starts as a digital recording. It begins in that way. The whole construction of the song is going to be done in a digital way, in a new way, in a new way of thinking about it, as opposed to the way we did it in the old days. And the day way we did it in the old days is we thought about stuff in a linear piece of tape and we would put a band in a recording studio and we'd make them record that whole song and then we'd add to it through mm. what's called overdubs. But now they think about things in terms of what we call stems where they're just going to record a little segment and a little segment, a little segment. And then in the computer, they're going to assemble that into the song that we, we, we hear on the radio. Um, it's a complete rethink of how music is created. But if we now transform that and think about it in the context of, of modern business, what we're doing is we're rethinking the way we create applications. You know, if I need to create a form to capture information, you know, I don't have to go get a bunch of, of developers. There's probably a set of tools on my desktop that will do that for me that can capture anything internal. And if I need to go external, I'm going to go to Airtable. I'm going to go to something else. And the business user themselves are going to create that, create them themselves. Because we've reached this mode where, and again, we can use the music analogy here. Um, in the old days, the professionals did the recording and the musicians had to go find those professionals to do the recording. In the old IT days, the business users had to go find the professional IT people. Now everybody's an IT person. And now because of the fact that on any given iPhone or iPad or, or Mac, you've got GarageBand, which is more powerful than any digital workstation from the 90s, anybody can produce music. And it's that... I think that characterizes it really well. The, the technology or the ability to do it has become democratized. You don't need to be a specialist anymore. The bar of entry is extremely low. And we see that on the publishing platforms we see now. It's easier to allow the creativity to thrive because you don't need a specialist in the mix so much. I right. think it, it, it's a nice way to think about this, this sort of it's now accessible to all as opposed to just that highly specialist recording studio with the 10 experts in the corner that used to be the way yeah. we did it in the past, like you say. Now there's still there's still a place for that, you know, the last what they call the final mix down, the mastering of it, the you know, putting the sheen on things in the same way it holds true, I think, with with developing. You know, if we're working in an RPA world, you still need a fancy developer to create a a customized view into corporate data to keep the security and the governance and all of that in place. Um, so we're going to use the professional developer to expose an API, and then your low-code, no-code folks can point at that and consume that, but you still need a real developer to create that, that stuff. So perhaps if digital transformation, when you were being asked by your marketing team to do a webinar on it, and it wasn't really substantive enough for you, and I think now we, we as a sort of an industry are, are creating some substance underneath it and actually understanding what it means to digitalize something uh, in a work context versus simply digitizing uh, an analog recording, to use your analogy. What else is different now that's making digital transformation like a real thing? Like you could say it without having a red face, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think another big difference is the fact that the business users realize they have to go back to the fundamentals of what are we trying to accomplish yeah. and not using the same old methodologies. You know, um, Dave, you may remember I, I started in all this stuff in the SharePoint space in, um, 
I was working years ago at a financial institution. This was really early versions of SharePoint. And people realized, hey, you can do simple workflows. And so I would get invited into these meetings. They would say, hey, we want to create a workflow for our banking process. And I'd say, that's a great idea. Put everybody in a room who has a stake in that. And let's let's have a meeting. And, uh, and so we would go into there and I would sit there with usually the vice president of the area and they'd had, he'd have all of his main people who had a stake in it. And then I would say, great. Now, before we can digitize this process, before we can create a, a workflow of this process, we need to understand the process. Mm -hmm. So somebody who has a good understanding of this thing end to end, go up to the whiteboard and draw it on the whiteboard. And, and they would draw it out, take about five minutes, and then hands start to go up. No, you got this part wrong. No, we used to do it that way, but that was when, when Frank worked in that process, but then he changed the thing. And there's all of this, 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 this tribal knowledge of, of stuff that isn't understand all the way through it. And usually I would, I would last about 30 minutes in the meeting. About this point, the VP invited me in, has got his head in his hands and, <laughs> and he's embarrassed because he like, thought, this was, I, this thought was the easy bit. He thought that the technologist was going to be the, okay. you know, the long pole in the tent. He realizes that nobody knows how this process works. And yeah. I would just say, it's okay, but here's what you have to do. Understand, first of all, what is the process as it exists today? And then two, is that the right process? Now rewrite the process the way it should be based on capabilities and then invite me back. And then about a month later, I'll get an invite back. So in that re-envisioning thing, in, in your view, is it important to have people who know what else can be done as well? Because if you just keep a contained room who have lived that life, they're only going to be able to invent what they know and having the external influence to be able to think differently can often be a, a big thing. What's your view on that from a, a sort of spark of inspiration Oh, that is that is super super important because if you don't know, I'll call it the art of the possible. Then you then you're going to keep doing the what we've always done yeah. for forever. So um, I think that's one of the other factors that plays into the fact that that the now I think is truly the time when a true transformation can occur mm -hmm. because the digital fluency of our workforce in the business departments, excuse me, is so much higher. Uh, I think the the art of the possible and the capable now is is truly there because they can say ah because if you look at at our twenties and even early thirties something these are folks who came through university um, immersed in a in a Google Docs world hmm. in a Google Docs world where they can create simple workflows where they do do co editing where they that was just part of the core muscle memory of of what they do. That's that's their mindset. That's their viewpoint of where how they're coming into this. So they're going to look at things as a digital first type of solution, not a, hey, when you're finished making your updates, if you'll send them to me, I'll incorporate them with the rest of the deck and email them out to everybody. Oh, shoot me now. I have a pet hate actually of being sent collaboration documents on an email. It's like, well, how, this is this is going to be a personal rant. I just apologize for this in advance. <laughs> so it's like, well, in place. Yeah, like how, how many other people have now just been sent the same copy of this document? How on earth are we going to get that back together? And what, you want me to integrate that? It's there's, bonkers. There's no way. And they didn't turn track changes on, so there's no way to know yeah. any of that stuff. <laughs> right. it's, and, and even if they do, you take one look at track changes and you're like, oh, Christ, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to work my way through all of this. I it know. just like, drives you crazy, doesn't it? And, and in a Microsoft context, there's just that one little button, one little button. And it's the, and, you know, you've, you remember that book? It came out decades ago. Everything I needed to learn, I learned in, uh, in kindergarten. Hmm. Share. You learn to share. Yeah. Not, 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 not 
attach an, a document to an email, just click the share button. It's right up there in the right-hand corner. Just click the share button. It'll send a link. We all edit the same document and life is good. So you think there's an important generational shift going on in workforces at the moment that's that's making those conversations that you describe more valid or more forward-thinking or perhaps less protective of the way we've always done it? I do. I do. And I think that's had some significant impacts on the CIOs and CTOs of, of modern business because the role is really changing. Mm. The, you know, if you think about, again, the old days, you know, go back to my little SharePoint in the financial business example. You know, in that day, they invited the IT guy in to come have a conversation of how to solve their business process. They're solving that today on their own. They're getting a subscription to Airtable. They're getting a subscription to Monday.com, any of these other things. Now, it's up to IT to, to wrangle and put the right guardrails in place because you do need a level of um you need a level of guidance of governance in there you can't just bring everything in we have usernames and passwords pii all that sort of thing but they are solving for a lot of that themselves because they are you know they, they've done it for their whole career educational career these are right. our younger folks so stepping past it then so we're in a position where digital transformation was a good idea but it was perhaps a more of a marketing term it was a real term yeah, we're now coming on to actually understand that digital transformation really is a different thing. Digitalization is is different from simply digitizing existing processes, and there's perhaps a generational shift that is helping organizations understand what might be the art of the possible next. So, in your mind, what does that look like? What what's the art of the possible in your mind, and how are some of the newer technologies that are giving us all a little eye-opening moment, like things like ChatGPT? How do all of those things come together for you? Oh, that's a really good question. So, you know, if we think about you mentioned ChatGPT, we think about all things AI and ML. And I was having a conversation with a coworker the other day, and and he has uh, spent his whole career working in and around um, healthcare. So the technology in and around healthcare, and and the phrase that he uses that I think is brilliant is: you think about where AI is being used in healthcare. It's helping helping screen um, X rays. Uh, it's it's doing all sorts of, of other things to assist a doctor. And so the question of doctors is: Hey, is is AI going to replace the doctor? Well, the answer is no, but the doctor who uses AI is going to replace the doctor who doesn't. So where I think that leads us is that those organizations, those companies, and those individuals who utilize the art of the possible in the technology – are going to, those organizations, those individuals are going to far supersede those that, that don't. And I think if we could push pause on where technology is right now, here on this day, whatever capabilities exist in AI and in ML and in, in big data and in compute and in serverless, we have more capability that exists today than we know how to, how to harness how to utilize. Hmm. And the pace at which it's being added to is blistering. So we're so distracted by all the new stuff. But again, I think that if we could even just utilize half of what's available today, our organizations would be so much more productive. Our competitors would be farther in the past Hmm. uh, because we would be so, so, so far ahead of them. I think your point's very well made on that the doctor who uses AI will supersede the doctor who doesn't, I think is a great way of of thinking about that. Up till now, I was using a calculator analogy mm-hmm. where everyone's threatened 
by the advent of the calculator back in the 60s and 70s, whenever the calculator came out. And, you know, there was an outcry of, well, will children learn maths? Because the calculator will, you know, remove the need to do it. And of course, children still, you know, learn maths and learn the basics and get educated in deeper and richer ways than they were probably being educated 20, 30 years ago. But they will still use a calculator for speed. And they will still use a calculator to, to stop sitting there doing nugatory stuff that you can now automate. And to me, that feels pretty much like where we are with things like AI and actually other automation technologies, potentially. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there there's so many areas where if somebody would just step back and look at, at the the work that they're doing and think one, you know, I think you mentioned, you know, one word, how could they, how could they work more efficiently, faster? How Mm. could they work more accurately? You know, we talk, go back to the doctor analogy, you know, does it make them a better doctor? Are they still, you know, they've, they've gone to the same schools, they pass the same exams, they pass the same certifications, but if a doctor could use AI to be more accurate, then they have a better outcome and a better outcome in a healthcare context means potentially more people live or have a better quality of life. And that's a real outcome, as opposed to just being really worried and concerned that, hey, the machines are coming for us. I think the machines are coming to help us if we will let them. Yeah, It's this base assumption that the human is always better, and actually, no, it's not. In fact, the computer going over huge amounts of data can spot the nuance and call it out for then the human to investigate. So it's basically finding the diamond in the rough that is the bit of information that the human should pay attention to. And that's A, productivity, but B, can also be oversight and missed. A tired human could miss something, whereas you don't get tired computers. And I think there's a a point there about working in harmony to get the best out of everything, but there needs a new set of skills so that the doctor isn't just a doctor, but also a technologist as well and understanding how they use this new tool set to be able to make them more accurate, faster, better, stronger. And, that, and that's a just going back to the generational thing, it might take a generation to work through fully for those who are coming in to just have a better mindset about what technology can do for you. And again, that goes back to the, uh, the possible, do you actually yeah. truly understand the potential of what you're sat upon? And I think what it also does is we use the term earlier specialist or specialization. You know, when we think about a doctor, do they have to be the smartest technologist? No, they just have to have an open mind that there are places, and I think you call it out well, that that technology really does things better than a human can do. When you're talking about, here's a billion points of data, go find the three things that are different. Mm, That's a terrible job for a human. So you pick up accuracy, you pick up scale, you pick up 24 by 7, you pick up um, the ability to, you know, I guess a scale, take on tons more workloads. But you have to know to go do the thing. So when you have a doctor who is open-minded, who surrounds themselves with the right people to do those specialist-type things, then then I think you you hit a good marriage in the short term. In the future, the next generation down, you know, do we have computer scientists and people scientists at the same time? maybe maybe not i don't mm. i don't know but well cer- certainly what will happen is the interface like the way that we're engaging with ai i think is going to be fundamentally different i see no reason why the alexa model for example or you know choose your favorite home assistant isn't in some way connected when you're a gp and you're looking at something this feels like a much more natural use for like a voice interface to me yeah. than say dictation or something like that which never never really feels wholly right because you're structuring sentences as you go along. But actually, if you're just inquiring about something, 
uh, voice to me feels like a really good uh, interface choice. Well that, well, that was one of the powerful things that has come in with the new GPT models is they're context-aware, and suddenly you can have a thread and you can you can start to query in different ways, whereas computing interaction never used to be like that. You always had to restate the whole affair, but now it's it's behaving more like a human and that allows us to be curious and get more powerful results out because we can just keep playing on top of that context. I think as we get more used to that and that becomes more aware in the tooling that we use from a technology perspective, it'll just get better and better. But as you say, we've already got a lot of what we need for the next 10 years or so. It's just, we're just probably being held back by our own creativity at the moment, potentially. And the fact that we don't really trust the AI models right that now. That is also right. true. The, yeah. the trust yeah. point, yeah. yeah. Well, think about, you know, Microsoft a year or two ago had baked into Teams and they were really more showing this as science fiction-y. Here's what we could do in this environment. If we knew where people were sitting around a table and we knew the people who were coming in, well, we could listen to the conversation as a Teams in a room yeah. and we could listen for when somebody said, Hey, I will make sure that by the next meeting, I bring the deliverables for the thing. And so at the end, teams would give you a list of here, here's the, all the to do's and who signed up for them. Well, then, and now with chat GPT, we see that being baked into teams, but let's take it. I mean, that's, that's such a basic example of context aware, listening and knowing who's there and being able to say, Hey, this person said they were going to bring the cake. This person's going to bring the chips and this person's going to bring, going to bring the beverages, whatever it might be. Sorry. It's the best I could do in short notice. Yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty good, Joey. I've got a, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. got sort of a birthday party situation yeah. cooking up in my head. Let's just run with it. I know. I'm hungry. Meetings are all about these type, kinds of topics. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But let's let's spin that. Let's go back. We're loving the doctor example right now. But what if there was just a home assistant, doctor assistant, speaker in the room listening, and it's going to catch nuance in the in the the doctor patient conversation, and you know the 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 patient may have said when they came in there and said, hey, you know what. It's funny you say that because, you know, I had this itchy spot on my back and then they'll go on to do other things. But that there may be some throwaway words that the doctor's going to miss, distracted, doesn't make the connection. Well, that may be an integral part of the diagnosis that they're looking for. So that when you get to the end of it, there could be a checklist of things that show up on the on the doctor's screen behind his desk that says, based on what I listened to, these are some things that I think in order of of impact or severity or accuracy, whatever it might be, that, that it could be or that you may want to consider or you may want to ask more questions about. Schalke, what you been looking at this week? So each week I will do some research on what's trending in tech. And this week I want to focus on why cloud is key in enabling digital transformation. So only a few percentage of the companies that are launching digital transformation have seen sustained and material performance improvement. So why is that? So first of all, the technology execution capabilities are often not up to the task. Second, outdated technology environments make change extremely expensive. And lastly, in most cases, the infrastructure cannot handle the amount of data that is needed for analytics. So the cloud can reduce or eliminate many of these issues. So how can it help? First, a faster time to market. Cloud native companies can release their code into production hundreds or thousands times a day using end-to-end -end automation. Also, the ability to create innovative business offerings 
Each of the major cloud providers offers hundreds of native services and services that are put into the marketplaces that can be used to create business offerings for each and every company of each and every size. Reduced risk, taking advantage of the multi-billion dollar investments that the cloud solution providers have made into security operation can also be used by every company. And lastly, efficient scalability. Cloud really enables organizations to automatically add and remove capacity to meet the demands. So a question, where do you see the biggest improvements for organizations using cloud for their digital transformations? There's so much in that. So we always, you know, it's it's the faster, better, stronger, smarter. For me, the biggest value in is being able to reinvent how you do things. So changing change the way you operate. So it's the, how can I use technology to change the way I interact with consumer, customer, citizen, all that thing. And I think, yes, you can always chase lower cost. You can always chase more efficient, but actually what you want to chase is be different. And when you, you're different and you get the edge, uh, then you'll get much better success. And I think um, it's it goes back to the art of the possible point, which is, dream big and use technology to achieve those those goals and then the efficiency and the productivity and everything else will come with it as i see them as more as hygiene factors of just the way we operate in the new world but it's about changing everything at its core uh and for me the organizations that have done that have succeeded um the best and you see some great innovation and creativity come out based on i can now use technology to do something completely different um so for me it's 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 that angle that i think most should try to focus on the, the the thing in my head that I find actually difficult to unpick a lot of the time is cloud transformation versus digital transformation, whether they're, mm. are they the same thing or not type of thing. And they may be not exactly the same thing, but the Venn diagram overlap is so significant, I think, that they're, they're almost synonymous with one another. And in my mind, a cloud transforming organization has to develop a series of capabilities around things like product development and around things like different styles of leadership and around things like different ways of working and different processes and thinking fundamentally differently about automating and use of data. And all of that has got complete commonality with digital transformation. So in my mind, I have them very much nestled together. I think the outer edge of digital transformation uh, is some of the stuff we were talking about in the earlier conversation where you're talking very much about its usage and how it supports or drives forward even the, the purpose of the organization that you're in. And and we've seen in some mega digital transformations where the advent of a certain technology will even change the very reason for a company to exist. Yeah. Um, Netflix is a great example of that, but I'm sure there are a number of others. And there are also a number of organizations that haven't made that pivot and then do no longer exist. You know, Kodak being probably the most famous ones of those. So to my mind, like digital transformation is on the cloud. It sort of almost has to be on the cloud by definition. If it's not on the cloud, it has to be using cloud-like technologies to enable the rate of product innovation. But it's an ever so slightly broader version of a conversation you should be having anyway if you're going into a cloud transformation. Jeff, what's the distinction in your mind between cloud and digital? I love the fact uh, that you called that the Venn diagram and how the overlap there is so significant between cloud transformation and a, and a digital transformation. Because I think that true digital transformation 
the the main tool that can empower that is the cloud. Mm-hmm. And so why is that? It's there because of its vast size, its availability, its geographic availability, its speed, the innovation that happens there on a daily basis. But I think the most significant reason is because when COVID kicked in and everybody ran home, all businesses effectively just got out their big old snow shovel and just started heaving all of their data out into their cloud of choice. And it's the data that empowers all of this stuff. You can't create a workflow without data. You can't create insights without data. You can't you can't look at historical uh, behaviors to cur- to forecast the future without the data. And it's the existence of that data in an environment that you can truly uh, compute at scale, for some cases pennies, then um, that that's what I think the largest catalyst is. And if you go back to your point about the digital camera, Kodak actually created that. So they were actually the ones who created the t- tool, yeah. but they didn't use the tool as well as others. And cloud to me is a bit like the tool has been created. Who's going to use it? And that and the use of it allows you to create that digital transformation. It's more about being who's the most inventive, who's the most creative, and how are they going to use it differently tomorrow? Well, and doesn't it go back to people get wrapped up in the way a solution is delivered as opposed to what is the outcome we're trying to have here? I mean, and and I think my favorite example of this is is we should go way back to the beginning of the automobile. You know what made the automobile go faster after they first invented it? Brakes. Oh yeah, because <laughs> you could slow down. Yeah, so the yeah. risk the risk profile change because <laughs> right. you actually stop. That's a very good point. Yeah, right. So you wanted to go faster, but the faster you go, you still have to slow down. So the first ones were super slow, so they didn't have to have brakes. <laughs> there was a really good point about the conflation with the I'm worried about the tool as opposed to the outcome I'm creating. It's the software engineer becoming self consumed by the technology they're using to release the software to live, having the massive argument about what's the best tool for CI CD. When actually the point is it's automated, it's frictionless, zero touch, it covers all the bases and it gets it to production safely. You're not really that concerned by which software you used. However, that's probably going to create a lot of debate in the software engineering community. But that's the point about the outcome and the way it behaves is more important than the actual thing you use to create it. And I think you have to be prepared to throw it away. You have to be prepared to walk away from it. It can't become this religious icon, this idol of, of the way you you operate. I mean, we've seen so many, so many coworkers or people who've been in organizations we've been in who, you know, their job was patching servers, their job was racking and stacking servers. And, you know, they didn't want to do the cloud thing and they didn't want to whatever. You know, those jobs are few and far between. There's opportunity for advancement, but you have to be able to, you have to continue to move forward. And, and, and it's that thing about skills are falling and other skills are rising, like the doctor having to change to become digitally aware. Certain skills are becoming not required because you only need a few people to be able to deal with it. It's just the nature of how the world is changing. It's who, you know, it is just efficiency is rising by the very nature of what cloud is and the way we're assigned to engineer and assemble things in a completely different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I think we all agree that if you want to do a successful digital transformation, cloud is part of it, right? Intrinsically. Yes. Yes. For the short term, for the automation part, faster time to market, lower cost, efficiency, long term, constant improvement and innovation. Great. Agreed. Very good. Thank you. Um, So yeah, a a good discussion. And one of those discussions that uses a lot of terms, I think, generally across this show that people use often interchangeably um, and and perhaps in a sort of ephemeral type way, but I should I think words like digitization, digitalization, 
what that then means for digital transformation and how cloud transformation is an intrinsic part of digital transformation, it feels to me that those are becoming more and more important terms to understand and then set the ambition for the sort of transformation that you want to go on. So yeah, useful conversation. Thank you, everybody. Um, Jeff, we end every episode of the show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. Now that could be going for a nice walk or a lie down in the woods, or it, <laughs> or it could be, yeah, or it could be, you know, a big exciting thing you got coming up at work. So what are you excited about doing next? Uh, well, as I mentioned, I think before we started recording, I'm getting over a cold. And so I think the next biggest thing I'm excited about is a nap. Uh, but that's not very exciting for the rest of the world. I usually get pretty excited about that. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. yeah. You know, I've got a bunch of, of projects I'm I'm excited about finishing. One of them is a, is a home renovation project that has just, it was, I call it my, my six week, six month project and uh, a few contractors and, and whatnot in and everybody's fired and I'm finishing it myself. I will be very glad when it's all finished. Uh, yeah. As about, how, how many days into the project did it take before you were 40% behind and 30% overspent? That's a too depressing of an answer, and I'm just going to keep it to myself. <laughs> it's a secret. Home I, renovation. I, I haven't admitted this to myself yet. I'm not admitting it to you. <laughs> so a huge thanks to our guest this week. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. To our sound and editing wizard, Ben, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. <laughs>